1: It's Friday, November 11th, 2016, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis.
2: And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters.
1: Hi, Kishore.
2: Hey, it's great to be back. (laughs) Thank you so much for holding down the fort the past couple weeks while I was running the Bay Area Science Festival. And thank you to those couple Inquiring Minds listeners that came up to me during the festival to say hi,
1: hi back. Awesome. You can find us online at motherjones.com slash inquiringminds, inquiringshow.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Inquiring Show and on Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Children's International is working to end child poverty around the world by giving kids access to a safe place, a team, and a path out of poverty by focusing on health, education, empowerment, and employment. Together with people like you, they're more than a nonprofit, they're a powerful force for change. Learn more at children.org. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash minds.
2: What a show last week, by the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of in shock as to, you know, of course, the change of events uh, and the, the, the way that that show has now become... Relevant, And I've had to go back and listen to it again and delve back into Arlie's book to see what it is that we are or that, you know, that we missed.
2: Give our listeners who may be listening to this out of sequence what... The, the show we're re- referencing was about.
1: Sure. So last week's show was a collaboration with Stephanie Lepp from a podcast called Reckonings. And her podcast explores how people change their hearts and minds. And she interviewed two individuals who started out as either Trump's one of them was a Trump supporter. And the other one was a longtime Republican uh, individual, um, you know, lead, essentially a, a leader almost in the Republican Party, although not a politician himself. And Uh, They both changed their minds over the course of the year and the campaign. And we were interested in exploring how this might have happened. Um, Thinking, uh, obviously wrongly, that we might see a lot of people having changed their minds on election night and that uh, Hillary Clinton would have won the presidency. Of course, we were terribly wrong. And it also highlighted, uh, we, we decided the, the scientist we decided to speak to is a sociologist um, named Arlie Hochschild because she had spent five years in Louisiana embedded uh, talking to Tea Party supporters to try to understand the deep story behind what was going on in this movement. And, you know, her book is a finalist for the National Book Award. I can't imagine how she can't win at this point.
2: Well, I think it's a, a- great listen. It might be a tough listen to supporters, depending on where on the side of the aisle you came down. But it's a worthy listen. And I think it's one of those shows I think we're going to rebroadcast soon to everyone, because I think it's an important show.
1: Yeah. And and I think maybe what we'll do is have Stephanie and I come back and do a kind of you know, redux version of or, uh, you know, a kind of debrief version uh, of our thoughts and, and maybe even bring back Arlie to talk about some of these changes. But in any case, that's on the horizon. Um, but if you haven't listened to the show, I encourage you to go back and listen to it.
2: But for this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. This week, we have on astronaut Chris Hadfield. Commander Chris Hadfield, my personal hero, Chris Hadfield. Canadian
1: Chris Hadfield.
2: Absolutely. For those who may not know, Chris was previously the commander of the International Space Station, is by far and away the most decorated Canadian astronaut in history, but is probably most famous for his use of social media while aboard the ISS, including his cover of David Bowie's Space Oddity from different areas of the ISS. Since he retired a few years ago, he's authored a couple books, including An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, which is an exceptional read, and the new children's book, The Darkest Dark. But we didn't actually talk about space, we talked about Earth. Chris and his son Evan have been searching for new adventures during Chris's retirement, hoping to bring along artists, musicians, YouTubers to document their exploration. They were offered a chance to go to the high Arctic aboard a Russian icebreaker starting from southern Greenland all the way past the 81st Latitude. Some listeners may know that I also work as a science correspondent for AdamSavage's Tested.com, and this past August, a couple of the members of the Tested team were invited along on the amazing journey to the High Arctic with Commander Hadfield and Evan. The footage that they returned with was absolutely stunning. Uh, ice in all shapes and sizes and colors, uh, watching sort of the glaciers break away and melt. Wildlife under these extreme conditions is a vibrant life uh, including a polar bear encounter on an ice floe. And there was an amazing set of people they li- they met along the way, people that lived in these extreme areas who were surviving and prospering. Uh, it was an amazing journey. And Chris and uh, Evan and I had a ranging conversation about this exploration, and it was novel to hear an astronaut who's been to the frontiers of where man has been come back and talk about the exploration that remains here. Here on Earth.
1: And I have to say, at a time when I really felt like my belief and and hope in humanity was questioned, uh, listening to your interview made me feel a little bit more hopeful.
2: Oh, that's a great note. So, with that, let's take a short break. We'll be back with my interview with Chris and Evan Hadfield.
1: This episode is sponsored by Audible, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. It lets you listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Audible is offering Inquiring Minds listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial by signing up at audible.com slash inquiringminds. You can choose from books like The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, or Hillbilly Elegy, A Memoir of a Family and Culture in Crisis by J.D. Vance. Audible also has a great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. Once again, that's audible.com/inquiringminds. If you're looking for a dose of good karma this week, check out Crazy Good Turns, a new podcast that celebrates people who do crazy good turns for others. Each episode tells a vivid, moving story about someone who stretched the boundaries of human kindness to help people in need. This week's episode focuses on Lily Rachel Smith, a teenager whose own painful experiences of social isolation sparked a movement in middle school lunchrooms across the country. Here's a sample of what you'll hear.
2: When you don't feel like you have any friends, it's a nightmare to try to figure out who you're going to eat lunch with and how you're going to keep yourself busy for that 20 minutes or 40 minutes. So No One Eats Alone Day is a, an example of students rallying around each other, doing something that's fun for them, and creating an inclusive atmosphere at their own school. So our money's on the kids that they know how to take care of each other if given the authority and the tools and the inspiration to do that.
1: Check it out at crazygoodturns.org minds or search Crazy Good Turns on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast provider.
2: Chris and Evan Hadfield, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Thank you very much. Thanks for the welcome. We're glad to be with you. Thanks. So Chris, you've had a storied career, years in the military, 21 years as an astronaut, commander of the ISS, but now you're retired back here on Earth. Uh, And I have to start by asking, um, you've long been on missions in some way, and I'm wondering what your mission is now, that you're retired and uh, an explorer back on Earth. Well, I think uh, it
3: may sound trite, but I think at our heart, we are all explorers. I, I'm at the stage of life now where I have my first grandchild and watching her learn through direct exploration where, where she's an observer and, and, and she's immediately learning lessons and filing them away and building her own understanding uh, of the three dimensional universe around her. It, it reminded me just how much of an exploration life is, and whether you've got some very uh, tangible type goal, like to command a spaceship, or whether it's just, you know, your curiosity of the day or the week or what what uh, what you haven't looked up or understood quite yet. To me, it, it's it's all sort of the same. And I don't even feel retired at all. I think when I counted it up, it's the fifth time I retired, because I used to be a, a downhill ski racer, and a, uh, I was a fighter pilot. Uh, I grew up on a farm. So I spent a lot of years farming. I was a test pilot and I've been an astronaut. And it's not like life has suddenly become boring or mundane or or without purpose. So uh, it almost feels like it's constantly accelerating to me, the opportunities, the stuff I don't know yet, and, and the chances uh, to try and connect those two things together.
2: Now, you teamed up with your son, Evan, uh, who's also joining us to take a group of explorers out to the Arctic. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the origins of this Generator Arctic trip and how you decided to bring along uh, who you did. Yeah, Evan, why don't don't you answer that question?
4: Yeah, so the the origins uh, could be a very long story or a very short story. And I'm going to do my best to sort of hug the line between them. But it basically all started with a stage show that we run here in, in Toronto, which is coming up on the 12th of November. Of which Adam Savage will actually be joining and speaking at. And it um, it's based off of something we saw that Dr. Brian Cox in the UK had done with uh, a comedian, Robin Ince, to basically take what were essentially complicated and maybe not unpopular, but difficult to popularize concepts, and then put them in a package that was a lot more easy to swallow. And then you could get a more mainstream audience to come and see what otherwise would be a fairly esoteric act. And I really liked that idea of finding this mainstream audience who otherwise might not care, particularly now in the modern era where you can literally turn off opinions online and and sort of bubble yourself. This idea of being able to break through that was really important to me. And we held this first show last year that Dad hosted here in Toronto at Massey Hall. And one of the audience members happened to be working for this company, Cork Expeditions, and came up and asked, you know, essentially, will you put the show on? on our ship as sort of a draw for for the people who would pay for the tickets. And I said, from my perspective, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But if you let me basically take that same concept and turn it outwards, so instead of entertaining the people on the ship, I I expose the ship and the area that it's going through and allow it to be for the people back um, in the South or or around the world. Uh, And from there, a lot of things were able to click together a lot easier just because we had that sort of base concept already in mind.
2: I think you're underselling the ship a little bit, because the ship you're referring to <laughs> is a Russian icebreaker that took you basically to the northern edges of where man has uh, explored and lived uh, on Earth. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the outline of the actual trip, where you went, and and a little bit of what you saw before we dive into the details. Uh, sure. it was. Uh, it's actually a Soviet icebreaker built uh, before the fall
3: of the Soviet Union, built in the early 80s, named after a famous Russian ship's captain uh, named Khlebnikov. so the Captain Khlebnikov, And it's done more circumnavigations of the Arctic and Antarctic than any ship in history. And uh, it was refit after the fall of the Soviet Union to be able to take passengers. And uh, so it's kind of a, a very unique vessel and it took us as you say uh way north we started in southern southwestern greenland went up the coast of greenland to the, the the furthest most community called kanak uh, which for the the language geeks is the furthest north palindrome in the world Um and then we cut across over into the canadian arctic and then went up on in the inside straits uh inside Ellesmere Island. Up to 82 degrees north, or 81 and a half, or whatever. Basically, there was a handful of people uh, on this blue ball between us and the North Pole. If, if you if you make the ball of the Earth with your hands, like a like a pumpkin or a volleyball, we were way up on the very, very top and standing on top of the Ellesmere Island glacial uh, field, the whole ice pack of it. it. It was amazing insight into a a part of the world that. Normally, no one sees or, or that no one sees without, uh, some sort of really strong filter of, of telling them why they're looking at it. And, and so Evan's idea of not only accepting this offer from the, the person from Quark Expeditions, but to bring along, uh, some social media people, videographer, you know, vloggers and, and writers and, and musicians and, and photographers so that so that we would share the experience, I thought it was brilliant, uh, because the places we went are are almost inaccessible it 's almost like a little spaceship
2: heading out into a place that you couldn 't get to any other way so Evan, tell us a little bit about the the crew you bought aboard, the musicians, the artists, the vloggers, and a little bit about what you 've seen through their lenses now that they 've returned back to uh, return back home. Yeah, so from my perspective, uh, it started out thinking, okay, well, if
4: you go to the Arctic, you make a documentary. I mean, that's just what happened. So my first thought was, I'll send up a documentary crew with me and bring up some uh, other guests who would help host the documentary, so scientists and people who could sort of explain better. But the more I followed that trail, the more I realized that that would just be my opinion, basically I would be packaging my opinion and bringing it up there I'd plan it in advance I'd decide what I was looking for and then I would put that out and that didn't really seem to do justice to what we were actually gonna go do if I planned it in advance and and I only had one way of looking at it then you know was that actually what we saw or was that what I saw and what I perceived so I thought, if I'm going to have the capacity to bring up 10 people, I'd really like each of them to be almost fundamentally different from one another. And, and in my head, I sort of think of it, like if the world was a high school, I'm looking for the leaders of all of the various cliques that exist in high school. So you've got your AV club, you've got your sports guy, you've got the, the arts group, you've got the, you know, the, the rebels, et cetera. And all these people who sort of have different roles, but then also different mediums to present their thoughts. So with videographers, you get a really good image of, of the exacts of what you saw, but then with photography, you can capture more um, an emotion or a mood with writing. You can really do detailed examination of the thoughts behind it, et cetera. So you get all these different viewpoints um, and mediums that you can sort of see the truth. Isn't any single one of them, but this sort of haze between all 10. And I think that's um That's fundamental in finding a real uh, uh, way to share an experience is to realize that it's not just your one perception, but sort of the, the, the reality between perception.
2: So I want to talk about ice. Ice seemed like a dominant theme of this trip that you saw a lot of it, and it was dynamic in nature. Uh, And I saw footage from a GoPro attached to the bottom of a helicopter that I I believe some Russian pilots were sort of buzzing through uh, these glacial fields, almost like the trench run from Star Wars is how it appeared. Uh, And there was sort of like a brilliance to uh, the ice that we saw, that it was alive. Um, I'm wondering if you can take us there and what you saw from some of the ice flows and and the glaciers that you saw. Yeah, I think in... uh... In sort of a regular, uh, I don't know what the
3: right term is. Southern North American culture, you know, in, a, in more temperate North American culture, ice to us is is a little bit of rime ice on the windows or maybe something in your drink. But ice doesn't have a lot of variety. And to get to a place where ice is is one of the dominant forces, where the freezing and thawing or the uh, the heavy accumulation uh of ice the 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 centuries-long accumulation of ice and then how that interacts with the environment it's very different but like if you and i spotted an iceberg right now it would be really remarkable but to get up to a place where there are thousands of icebergs where that's the new norm that's different and and how it, it interplays and each one of our artists on board no matter whether they were writing about it or singing about it or or taking images of it boy, there's a lot of, of focus on the immense interplay and variety and difference of the ice itself. And the thing that occurred to me was so much of the reason that that place is rare and hard to get to is because we have not figured out a technological way to deal with the fact that water freezes. It's kind of funny, but the, when water... uh It freezes sort of into a mix of an ice pack that moves around. We're used to water as a liquid, but when it's constantly going back and forth between liquid and solid or a big pack of solid water of ice that's moving around, suddenly it defeats almost all of our traditional methods of transportation, and makes a whole part of the world largely inaccessible. And and I just started thinking of that observation and how it's affected history in the Arctic, especially human history in the Arctic. Ice and, and uh, its impact is, uh, is so different, but also so important when you start thinking about the Arctic, and, and it's definitely an impression I came back with
2: how much at the fore was this idea of this ice is disappearing and that we you're at the forefront of where climate change is really happening in a visceral way
4: see i kind of feel like that's one of the things that i i went up there specifically to not address because it's such a it's such an undertone of everything that by it's almost like the next show we want to do would be if we go to rwanda i don't really want to do it about the genocide but of course that's the undertone. It's everybody's first thought about a topic. So when you hear the Arctic, it's almost like people shut off now because they expect to hear climate change, ice loss. And it gets to the point where you you can't tell the real story of the place because the preconception is so strong. You know, climate change is happening everywhere. It's just that the Arctic is the best place to visualize it on film. And and obviously, it's going to be a huge effect when, when the ice up there starts um truly raising the water levels so i want to show the arctic as a complicated place so that people love it so that they feel the desire to protect it i feel the more we treat it like this place where the ice is depleting the more it's the moon you know it's something you can't save it's something you can't see or care about it's where it's over there where stuff happens rather than just another part of our one planet in
3: that, and, and another thought about that shore. Sorry, is just that one of the first places that Evan and I went ashore there. Uh, this this sort of a rocky meadow with uh, glaciers just up the valley and icebergs in the bay. Uh, everywhere you walked, you were kicking um, fossilized tropical life, shells and and uh, and all sorts of things that used to live in warm seas and 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 warm land, and 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 so. Uh, The very short-term problems we're causing with climate change are, of course, hugely serious and and very uh, impactful on human life and the current balance of life on the planet. But that's not by any means the only story. There's an ancient, amazing history that most people just haven't had any exposure to. and and what really struck me a lot was everybody we met the the folks that lived the greenlandic and the danes that live all up the coast of greenland and then the native uh, first first peoples in the arctic on the canadian side and then uh the uh, the folks that are up there at weather stations the place is beloved it's revered it's honored it, it's it's home and it, it is just as much north america or canada or, or or Denmark, or Greenland, uh, as any place else. And that shift of perception, I think if you just start saying, oh, well, this is that place where this one thing happens, I think it allows people to not think about it. And and that was really part of our uh, idea in going, was to uh, provide a little more nuanced reflection on what the place truly is, so that you can put things into, into a different balance.
2: Well, that's a perfect transition, because the next thing I wanted to talk about was the people that you met up there. Because though... Uh, there was a particular video that Ben Brown made, uh, and uh, it, you are, for as much as you know, I think you are humble about it. You are a Canadian hero, and when you went to a Canadian school, it appeared that way. But I was struck by that notion that you just referenced that this is home for so many people. Uh, And it's not that it's not an incredible amount of people, but these people have an appreciation and a history with this land. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a few stories about people that you met along the way. So actually, if I can just jump in, you mentioned that town in Ben's video. There's
4: actually a backstory of that town that I think describes the earlier question um, just as well which is, it's that town's called Greece Fjord. It's Canada's most northern town. And it was purpose-built by the government in, I believe, the 1940s, might be the 1950s, where they forcibly removed Native people from northern Quebec and forced them to live almost almost the exact same amount north they already were from the American border, again, further north, and just dropped them off. And so because of this horrible history of Greece Fjord, any time that town is talked about, it's negative. You know, when the news talks about it, when documentary crews go through, all they ever do is talk about a tragedy or, or the sad past or how miserable, you know, the, the economy is or something negative. And you can see in Ben's video, and it's the reason um, we brought Ben along specifically on that trip is because Ben didn't know that background. So he didn't care. He just wanted to show the town as he saw it. As we got there, what he saw. The people he met said hello, Um, and you can see the mayor of the town greets us just as we get off the helicopter and enter, and I said something um, along the effect of, this is Ben. He's here to make sure that everything here is seen, and her response is, please capture everything, because in her mind, you know, she's a real person, and everyone who comes up there treats her like a tragedy you know a living tragedy and she's not is, as dad says they have a house there and a life and and they're not abnormal so um for us to go up there with a preconception of what we were going to say i think would do a complete disservice to the people
3: and that's the major
4: thing i felt
3: talking to virtually everyone is yeah and i think a, a really poignant moment that day um that luckily ben brown captured was just talking to the kids in that town. They're just kids, like kids in any town. And but because of that, you know, sort of the historical weight and agenda that's on them, they don't feel like they're in the center of anything. They they feel like they're way out on the edge. I think just because of how everybody always treats it. And what what Ben pointed out to them, one of the kids says he knew about Ben from from uh, from the internet and from social media. And the kid said something, and you you can probably see it in Ben Brown's video how loud like. Wow, I wish I could, you know, be a videographer. And Ben said, well, do you have a phone, right? Have you ever made a video? And the boys kind of had this little moment of introspection and then said, well, yeah. Then Ben said, you are a videographer and you can do the same thing. And you could you could see this like a door opening in the young man's mind of it had never occurred to him that his life was something that might be interesting to other people or that we he had a way maybe of effectively sharing it using the technology that exists in the same way that Ben Brown does. And I think that that was a, a really lovely side benefit of the day. And, and the people we met all the way up the coast of Greenland, we visited a northern uh, weather station in Eureka and ran into folks all over, uh, I, I think. Ben did a nice job uh, with his video camera of showing some of it. Um, I know the guys from Tested had a, had a great chance to, uh, to interact with a lot of folks and, and where they live and show it. But it, everybody is just proud of where they're from. They uh, they live there because that's where they wanna live and they wanna understand how it fits in with the rest of the world, just like everybody. And, and I think it's important that we don't uh, inadvertently belittle a place just because we only know a tiny bit about it
2: beyond the human life there there is a number uh, there is an extraordinary amount of of just life period whether it be plants or you know arctic hares i saw imagery of humpback whales um, but i was struck by uh the imagery i saw of an encounter with a polar bear that it seemed unique can you tell us about the the encounter with the polar bear
3: yeah i'll start evan uh, well, we saw several, of course, uh, and actually just in life itself, we got off at 81 degrees north and I walked across a meadow up there. And you sort of have this picture, 81 degrees north. It's nothing but a Arctic wasteland. Walking across this meadow, I felt like I was in a barnyard. There was so much uh, uh, animal poop uh, just there in this huge meadow because every muskox or, or whatever a wolf or or fox or a rabbit or whatever running through uh this is the meadow where they feed and so it's all there as a record and it was just it it made me smile i grew up on a farm and and to to realize hey this is just a place where a whole bunch of animals live this is life this is thriving was a really good reminder to me of, of my own uh inaccurate preconceptions but of course you want to see a polar bear when you're in the polar regions and we saw several in the distance but but one day when we were coming down a um, a long fjord on the icebreaker, there was a bear out hunting seal on on an ice floe in the middle, and so we could just by nudging our ship around and uh sort of like like uh I don't know if you were on a bicycle going through a park and suddenly you could stop your bicycle and then and then move a little bit to the right and you know just like that with the whole icebreaker, and we got fairly close, and then the bear sort of. Stop hunting seals for a while and, and I was trying to picture what was going on in that bear's mind because top of the heap he's probably never been afraid of anything in his whole life and, he, and he's probably just going hmm, why does that cliff smell so funny or whatever he thought of our ship I don't know but he hadn't seen any that it's a very remote area and and to see that bear just just mildly curious, coming over, giving us a big sniff, trying to catalog it into his brain and amongst his own environment, giving, of course, all the people on the ship a big uh, thrill, but also a, a, a direct, unfettered, uh, completely wild interaction with, with a true resident of that place. It was, I don't know what you thought of it, Evan, but I, I thought it was a real uh, insightful delight into the, the continuing nature of the place. Yeah, there was a point when we had seen some muskox
4: in the distance and we were just sort of walking towards them, but they were so far in the distance that we weren't ever going to get that close. So we were just walking around and eventually had to turn back to head back to the ship and sort of just seeing all their their prints in the mud around us while we were walking back. And we saw some series of prints where you could actually clearly see a wolf hunting a running herd of of muskox. And it must have happened you know, within, I'm going to say 48 hours, just the the way it was in the mud. And it made me realize just at that moment that I was in a place that I don't think a lot of humans had stepped, if any, that the place we got off and walked around, if you take a thousand steps around, chances are there's a little bit of ground there that is still wild to the point that, you know, an hour or something earlier, it could have been, uh, there was a wolf hunting musk ox and it's, Even in Canada, where we have so much wilderness, it's tough to feel the wilderness quite like stepping off that boat onto a shore, um, sort of interacting with, with true, you know, desolate's not the right word, but, but inhospitable
2: environment, a true wild environment. If you don't mind the personal question, I, I wonder what was it like to go together on this adventure? It was a delight Uh, being on board a spaceship I, I tied in with phone every day and with
3: video occasionally, but I was definitely physically separate from my family and loved ones. And uh, to, for Evan and I to be able to do this together and, and not just to experience it together, but to bring this group of people to enable this thing to happen, to have created something uh, together. We've created a few things over the last few years together and, and uh, it, it just it makes me Proud, but also really delighted to be part of a of a group that can that can make something happen that otherwise
2: never would have and my last question, this adventure seems like the beginning of a whole set of adventures for you uh where next in my eyes, I see us next going to Rwanda, but that might not be the case
4: it's It's really a concept of where we're trying to go. I'd like to go somewhere where I'm certain that the average opinion is incorrect. So there's a, for example, the former Yugoslavia, uh, I've been through there a fair amount and my wife is from um, just a border town in Hungary. And because the war happened so recently, the belief of her family about what those Yugoslav countries are is so incredibly backwards compared to how they actually are. And there's many places around the world where just because the largest noise made was, the, for example, Ethiopia, the famine, we start to imagine those countries as one-dimensional and the people who live there is one-dimensional. And having um, worked with dad when he was in space to sort of show the world itself and, as he says, uh, let people see where they fit into everything, I feel that this is the same. The world is this incredibly complicated and, and gorgeous and interesting um, place with people who deserve to be seen, but just weren't born in the exact right city to be seen. And so I'd like this show to be a way to highlight both places and people and ideas that people should see. And it's just tough to find them. You know, how do you Google a thing I've never seen before? It's uh, it's tough to do. So I, I would like this platform, not just the traveling show, the stage show, but also eventually in the future to turn it into actual media. I would like it to just be a way to introduce the mainstream to to the esoteric in a fun and, and engaging way.
2: Well, here's to all of our retirements being so adventurous. Evan and, Evan and Chris Hadfield, thank you so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thank you. Thanks. That's, that's absolutely the best type of minds. Nice to talk to you, Kishore. Bye bye.
1: So I was really touched with that last sentiment that Chris shared of this desire to go and see some of these people whom we would have, you know, essentially very little chance of seeing. And it actually reminded me of how we as liberals on the coasts don't really see a lot of the people in the middle of the country who surprised us by coming out in droves and voting for Donald Trump.
2: I think that message of us all being explorers, whether that's exploring... The frontier of the Earth itself, or the people that live therein, or the other life that exists here, is a sentiment that I want to aspire to in a lot of ways. Uh, I'll share some of the footage from the journey that we referenced on our Facebook and Twitter feeds, so keep an eye out. It is absolutely stunning, and that's the only word that I can use for it, is absolutely stunning. It is reminiscent of watching planet Earth. I mean, this is an amazing place we live in, and I hope it's still there for many, many, many generations to come. We
1: do live in a beautiful world. So that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds, and we'd also like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially David Noel, Eric Clark, John Kirk, Jordan Millar, Herring Chen, Nick Cadillac, Sean Johnson, and Ken Murayama. Thank you so much. You can visit our website at InquiringShow.tumblr.com. You can support us at patreon.com inquiringminds. And you can find us on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook. And you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, or anything else you'd like, including your own deep story and adventures in the Arctic to inquiringminds at climatedesk.org.
2: Inquiring Minds is produced by our audio explorer, Adam Isaac, in cooperation with The Climate Desk. Our music is provided by award-winning producer, Rian Chien.
1: And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis, and you can find me on Twitter at IndreVis.
2: And I'm Kishore Hari, at Science Quiche. See you next week.
1: Crazy Good Turns is a new podcast that celebrates people who do crazy good turns for others. This week, hear how the legacy of 15-year-old Lily Rachel Smith inspired a movement of middle school students who broke down the walls of social isolation in their school lunchrooms. Check it out at crazygoodturns.org minds or search Crazy Good Turns on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast provider. And once again, today's episode is sponsored by Audible, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash
0: inquiringminds. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.